Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. Well, I'm going to ask us a question to start, and you've got to be honest, okay? You have to be honest. How good is your memory? If you were to rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, how good would you rate your memory? Oh, I heard a 3. Someone said 0. All right, so I rated myself, and I, the best, the most generous number I could rate myself was a three. I, I'm just one of those people that forget everything. Like, I can't count the amount of times I've got, like, up from my office in the back corner here during the week, got up just to walk across the building to the front office and then get in the front office and just go in there and be like, wait, why am I here? Or the amount of times, like, you go on vacation and forget to pack something really important, or the amount of times I've left uh, home in the morning and uh, forgot my lunch in the refrigerator. I always seem to be forgetting things. Now, what that means is that oftentimes I'm really jealous of those people who don't forget anything. See, chances are we all know a couple people who are like that. Someone who could see a movie once or twice and then like quote half the movie back to you. Or people who like could recall song lyrics from like all the popular songs over all the previous decades. Or those people who, when they read the Bible, um, could read a passage once or twice and then have it memorized for life. See, and I'm married to somebody who could remember and recall so much information. I mean, Laura can tell you every single teacher she's had in every single classroom from every single school from kindergarten through college. If you asked her, she could probably tell you exactly where she was sitting, what the room was decorated like, and probably even the names of all the students sitting around her. Now, fortunately, Laura knows my tendency to forget things, which is why she's always generous and gentle with her reminders. When we always joke around, we say like my brain is like a conveyor belt, like information kind of goes on there and then it lasts for maybe like a day or two and then it just falls off and it just gets lost in some abyss somewhere. Um, but her brain is like a filing cabinet. I just pictured there's like this huge library with filing cabinets everywhere. Information just comes in and gets sorted and it's there. She can recall it, right? I'm just one of those people who need constant reminding though. Well, when it comes to our spiritual lives, see, I think most of us, have a tendency to forget. Regardless of how good your memory might be, we're all prone to forget even the most important things. Maybe this is why God, through the Bible, reminds us over 
and over and over again to remember him, to remember the way he's worked in the world to save his people and to bring about redemption. After all, this is one of the primary purposes of the feasts of Israel. We've been studying the feasts of Israel, and all these feasts served as reminders of what God had done for Israel, how God protected them, how God delivered them. And the feasts formed the annual life cycle of everything that happened with Israel, with every feast reminding the Israelites of God's provision and God's protection and God's faithfulness. And these reminders set the rhythm of life for the Israelites, even to this day. So today, as we continue studying through the feasts of Israel, we come to the Feast of Pentecost. And each of the feasts serve as a reminder, but here is what Pentecost reminds us of. The Feast of Pentecost is a powerful reminder of the perfect provision of God. See, we need to be regularly reminded of all that is ours in Christ. How God has perfectly provided everything we need for salvation, for life, for godliness. And Pentecost is a powerful reminder of this perfect provision. Now, a little bit of background. There were, out of like the seven or so feasts, there were three feasts where the men were required to, to make a pilgrimage, make a journey uh, to Jerusalem. And the Feast of Pentecost was one of those pilgrimage holidays. Um, and originally, though, it wasn't known as the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek word. In the Old Testament, when it was instituted, it was known as uh, Shavuot. Shavuot is a Hebrew word meaning weeks. So it was known as the Feast of Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks. Um, And it's called this not because it's a festival that goes on for weeks and weeks, but it's because you find the day of the festival by counting a certain number of weeks from a previous uh, day. So Leviticus chapter 23 is where we're going to start this morning. And Leviticus 23 is where God gives Moses instructions regarding each of the feasts. So as we study the feast this morning, we're going to pull out some timely reminders that God wants us to remember. Okay, so the details of the Feast of Weeks start in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15. Here's what God tells Moses. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. So this festival comes on the heels of Passover. And here it says that the Jews had to count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. And that's uh, after the Sabbath of the Passover. So then the day immediately following those seven weeks was the celebration of Shavuot. Verse 16. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. So, so this feast of Shavuot takes place 50 days after the Sabbath of Passover. And this is where the Greek word uh, Pentecost comes from, because Pentecost is a Greek word meaning 50. Uh, so on this 50th day, the people were to present this new grain offering. And this offering would have been uh, one of wheat, because this was during the time of the wheat harvest in around May or June. And here's what they were told to do, verse 17. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as firstfruits to the Lord. So the people would bake two loaves of bread with the first fruits from their wheat harvest, and they would prepare the bread. They'd sift the flour until it was all fine, and they'd, break, they'd uh, bake the, the, these loaves of bread. Uh, this time, they would include the leaven, the yeast. Because the bread had yeast in it, it wasn't acceptable to be placed on the altar, so it was waved 
uh, horizontally in, in this back and forth fashion. And this motion of, of the wave offering would symbolize that, that we're giving to God the first fruits of what he has so graciously given us and we receive from him all of his abundant blessings. And that's, that's what it symbolized, that, that waving back and forth. So along with this offering then came all of the other elements of, a, of the typical festival. There were elements of the burnt offering, sin offering, peace offering, and so forth. So starting in verse 18. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord, with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma, to the Lord. So the seven lambs, the, the one bull and the two rams were all part of this uh, burnt offering. And this was essentially the sacrifice necessary to atone for the sins of the people. Um, this had to be a regular sacrifice until uh, Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus came for his once and for all sacrifice. But this was something they had to do regularly. So along with the burnt offering were also these uh, fruit and, and grain uh, or these grain and drink offerings. And this typically uh, represented a form of tribute. Um, showing that they are people who belong to God and they're devoted to God. Verse 19, And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. So the male goat given for this uh, sin offering represented the unintentional sins of the people, uh, sins of, of omission. And then there were also two male lambs given as a peace offering. And the peace offering usually represented the peace and fellowship that they had with God and with one, with one another as a result of being made right with God, of being purified by God. Verse 20. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. So this festival was a one-day festival, and what it required was rest. Rest from all of the normal daily uh, labors. It was a time to pause. It was a time to uh, be reminded of God's abundant provision. Verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So in addition to making a gifts of the harvest to God, the people were also to uh, show compassion to the poor and, and to the foreigners in their midst. Their generous giving only wasn't uh, supposed to go upward toward God. It was also intended to go outward and bless others. So this entire uh, feast of weeks, this entire feast of Pentecost was one of thanksgiving. It was a feast of gratitude. And remember that Pentecost serves as a powerful reminder of God's perfect provision. And under this umbrella of God's perfect provision, we see the meaning of the feast. And there are three things that Pentecost is going to remind us of. And here is the first one. The first thing Pentecost specifically reminds us of is that God endows his children with his blessings. God endows his children with his blessings. See, this, this feast was a time uh, to express gratitude and tangible thanks for the way that God has provided for the basics of life. It served as a reminder that God is the ultimate giver, that he gives. He gives, and he gives. He's blessed us beyond measure. But how, like us, to forget? 
his blessings. How like us to not think about or count the blessings. How like us, instead of counting the ways he's blessed us, we often look at the lives of other people. We see the way that God has blessed them, and then we get jealous and ungrateful. See, we need to take a cue from the rhythms of of Israel here, and we need to pause, and we need to truly reflect on the many ways that God has abundantly blessed us. I mean, even with the basics of life, things physically, right? He's blessed us with air to breathe, food to eat, water to drink. He gives us clothing for warmth, homes for shelter, and beds for sleep. He gives us beauty for our eyes, music for our ears, and laughter for our enjoyment. But those are just some of the basics of the physical blessings. It's really incredible when you think about all the spiritual blessings that he's given us in Christ as one of his children. See, we take for granted a lot of this. In Christ, think about some of the things that he's given to those of us who are in Christ. In Christ, he gives us eternal life. He gives us spiritual freedom. In Christ, he gives us victory over addictions and comfort in our sorrows. In Christ, he gives us strength for our days and rest for our weary souls. In Christ, he adopts us into his family and makes us citizens of heaven. In Christ, he gives us wisdom when we ask and a peace beyond all of our understanding. And in Christ, he gives us an eternal inheritance that is so much more valuable than all the wealth in this world could ever purchase. Everything that we ever need in life, in this life or everything for the next life, our generous God has so abundantly blessed us with. If you agree with that, say amen. So maybe, maybe we should be a little more mindful to complain less and express gratitude more. Maybe we should take literally that great old hymn, Count Your Blessings. Uh, many of you would be, might be familiar with this hymn. It was actually written by a, a pastor in New Jersey about 125 years ago, a pastor by the name Johnson Oatman. And the words are an incredible reminder of everything that's ours in Christ. Listen to the words of Count Your Blessings. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you were called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. When you look at others with their lands and gold, Think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings. Money cannot buy your reward in heaven or your home on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. And church, may it be so for us. May we never forget the abundant provision and the abundant blessings that God has so graciously bestowed on us. And Pentecost reminds us that God endows his children with his blessings. Now, here's the thing about this feast of Pentecost. 
uh, Shavuot. See, when it was established, it was originally intended to be um, a festival of, of thanksgiving and gratitude for God's provision. But what happened as the years went by and the Jews were scattered among the nations, the feast began to lose its primary significance as um, a, uh, a harvest festival, and it began to get uh, tied to the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. So it, as the years went by, uh, some early rabbis calculated that God actually gave uh, the law to Moses on Mount Sinai the exact day of the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. So even to this day, when Jews observe this festival, they celebrate it as the anniversary of God giving Israel the law on Mount Sinai. Now, if you recall from, uh, from last week when we uh, learned about Passover from Pastor Dave, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. God judged the leader. God judged uh, Pharaoh and, and the people and the land. And then God spared the Jews um, when they uh, offered that, that, Passover, uh, that Passover lamb. So then immediately right after that, they flee Egypt. They cross the Red Sea and then they go into the wilderness. And it's there um, that God is going to reveal himself. It's there that God's going to reveal aspects of his character. And it's there that God's going to reveal his commands uh, for the nation of Israel to live by. And this all takes place less than two months after Passover. Um, Exodus chapter 19, verse 1 tells us this. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. So the Feast of Pentecost was observed in the third month, on the third new moon. And here we see that the people of Israel arrived in Sinai on the third month, the third new moon. So the rabbis concluded that this historical event at Sinai happened in conjunction with the celebration of the, of the giving of the law and the Feast of Pentecost. So it became part of Jewish tradition then, even to this day, to read aloud during this feast, um, Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20. It's because Exodus 19 goes on to describe what happened that day at Mount Sinai when God gave the law. And now pay attention to some of the details, the sights and sounds that the people uh, saw and heard, because this becomes an important part of Pentecost. Uh, Exodus chapter 19, starting in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Sinai, Mount, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then God gives Moses the heart of the law, the Ten Commandments, what they refer to as the Ten Words. And the giving of the law is accompanied with all of these great sounds and sights, thunder, lightning, trumpets, smoke, fire. So here's what I want us to remember for now is, to understand for now is that the Ten Commandments, you have to understand these weren't just like arbitrary rules given by God to the nation of Israel um, just for them to be uh, taskmasters. Remember that God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham by making a covenant people of his own. Um, he, he tells Moses a little bit before this, he says that they're to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, right? So Israel was going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation through whom God was going to make himself known to the rest of the world, to all the other nations. So Israel was to represent God 
to the rest of the world, and they were to attempt to bring the rest of the world to God. And one of the primary ways that God was going to do this was by his law. He was going to set his people apart by his law. And that's what it served. One of, the, one of its functions served to separate God's people from the unholy and, and immoral and ungodly uh, neighboring nations. And it also served to reveal God's character, to reveal his holiness, his justice, his faithfulness. The law wasn't intended to save the Israelites. God already saved them and redeemed them out of Egypt. So the law was instead to show them how they're supposed to live their lives. God was trying to equip them as his own people. See, for new covenant believers, that would be us, you and me. We have the privilege of having not just the law of Moses, not just the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, but we have the privilege of having the entire Hebrew Old Testament and all of the New Testament. All of it's inspired by God. All of it's breathed out by God, by his very spirit. So when we come to understand that the Feast of Pentecost also served as a reminder for the giving of the law, we see then another aspect of God's provision for us. See, if the first Pentecost reminder was about how God endows his children with his blessings, the second Pentecost reminder is this. God equips his children with his word. God equips his children with his word. See, Pentecost reminds us of our deep need for God's word. Contained within the 66 books of this Bible is God's revelation of himself to us, to you and to me. It's about his creation, his forming of a people for himself, his redemption in history, his calling of a certain people, his nature as a triune God, his love, his justice, his mercy, his holiness, his promises, his plans for the future, his ideal for families and for marriages, his mission for the church. All of it is in here. He discloses himself to us. See, apart from God's revealed word, we'd be completely lost. And yet how often we neglect it. The Bible is one of the greatest treasures that God has ever given to us. Yet how often do we keep it buried? Or how often do we dig it out occasionally only to let it collect dust on the bookshelf? See, we can't expect to deepen our intimacy with God apart from his word. Right? We can't expect to strengthen our marriages and build a solid foundation for our families apart from his word. We cannot expect to shine brightly in our world of darkness apart from his world. And we cannot expect to withstand the attacks of the enemy apart from equipping ourselves with his word, our sword. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Bible is God's breathed out word, and it is everything for our lives. It's useful for teaching and for reproof, meaning uh, it's, from, it's where we get our doctrine. It's where we, we understand life and where we shape our worldview. Every part of it should be read. Every part of it should be studied. It teaches us everything we need to know. And it's also uh, useful for uh, correction and for training in righteousness, as Paul says. So meaning it teaches us not only what we need to know, but it shows us how we should live. See, all for the purpose of equipping us with everything we need for life and godliness on this side of eternity. So 
if you're not reading your Bible regularly, start somewhere. I mean, if it's five minutes a day, download the Bible app. Open up your copy of the Bible. Dust it off if you have to. Join a life group. Join a class. Something that can get you into God's word. Not, only, not just for, for knowledge up here, because that won't transform us, but to know God here. Commit to getting in the word. Because here's, here's a true statement. See, your spiritual development will never ad- advance beyond your intake of God's word. Your spiritual development will never advance beyond your intake of God's word. And Sunday morning, by the way, is not enough. Listening to a preacher once a week is, is not enough to fill you for the week. You can't have one Sunday afternoon meal and then not eat the rest of the week. It doesn't work like that. You need a steady diet of God's word. It's in the very words of scripture where we come face to face with the creator of the universe and we hear his gentle voice calling us to allow him to transform us and to infuse our lives with purpose and meaning and mission. I love what Chuck Colson said about the Bible. He said, the Bible, banned, burned, beloved, more widely read, more frequently attacked than any other book in history. Generations of intellectuals have attempted to discredit it. Dictators of every age have outlawed it and executed those who read it. Yet soldiers carry it into battle, believing it more powerful than their weapons. Fragments of it smuggled into solitary prison cells have transformed ruthless killers into gentle saints. So Pentecost reminds us that God equips his children with his word. So we have to understand is that by the time of Jesus then, 1,500 years or so after the first Pentecost was celebrated, the Feast of Pentecost was both a holiday of Thanksgiving and it was also celebrated as the anniversary of the giving of the law. So the first Pentecost was at Mount Sinai when God uh, wrote his law on tablets of stone. But in the Old Testament, God uh, prophesied through one of the Old Testament prophets that a time is coming in the future when God was actually going to write his law on the fleshly tablets of people's hearts. So now we turn to the New Testament where we see that fulfilled, where we look at Pentecost and see it reach its fulfillment. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. So right just prior to this, Jesus, um, he died, he he was resurrected, and then he spent 40 days after his resurrection uh, going around and um, appearing to hundreds of people in his resurrected body, proving that he actually uh, was risen. Um, And then he tells the disciples that they have an incredible mission ahead of them, that it, it was on them to go out into all the world and to spread the good news of his his death and resurrection to as many people as they can. But they were told to wait. Jesus said, first you have to go to Jerusalem and you have to wait. So they do. 120 of them go to Jerusalem and they're, they're in this upper room in Jerusalem and they're waiting. And then Acts chapter 2 picks it up, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So it was 50 days from the... the um, Feast of the, the first fruits to the Feast of Pentecost, 50 days. And Jesus was resurrected on um, that day of first fruits. And then, 50 days later now, it's Pentecost. 
All right, so because Pentecost also is one of these pilgrimage holidays, Jerusalem is swelling with men from all, or, all over. But again, in this large room in Jerusalem, there's 120 of Jesus' closest followers, and they're praying that God's going to show them what to do next. Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So you have to remember, people are there and they're associating this day of Pentecost with everything that happened at Mount Sinai, all the sights and all the sounds. So they're there and now they're seeing some more extravagant sights and sounds. Maybe similar to the sights and sounds that accompanied God's spirit when he rested on Mount Sinai. See, because now they're hearing with their own ears the sound of this mighty rushing wind. Verse 3, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. See, just as there was smoke and fire on Mount Sinai when God gave the law, the people witnessed what looks like these these flames of fire resting on Jesus' followers. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, God decided to use this feast of Pentecost as the day that he would pour out his spirit on all of his followers. Whereas in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit um, resting on, filling uh, people, some of the Old Testament saints temporarily, uh, just for, for a season. Now, God is about to give the fullest expression of himself to his people by permanently taking up residence within them in the person of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? See, so when the Holy Spirit came and all the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to worship God by speaking in these foreign languages that were, that were otherwise unknown to them. They didn't know these languages prior to that. But they were all the different languages that were, that were spoken and understood by the Jewish pilgrims who were there for this Feast of Pentecost. Now, instead of all the people rushing to the foot of Mount Sinai to see what all the commotion was during the giving of the law, now people are rushing to the foot of Mount Zion in Jerusalem trying to see what all this commotion is about. And then Acts 2 goes on to detail what happens that day. The people are amazed at hearing the gospel proclaimed in their individual languages. Um, Some of the people accuse the disciples of being drunk. Um, Then Peter, that once cowardly disciple, He steps up and he boldly preaches a sermon to the people there, connecting Jesus, proving that he's the Messiah that the Old Testament prophesied about and that the time had come for God to pour out his spirit on all of his children, people from every tongue and tribe. And then at the end of the sermon, uh, Peter's sermon, you get to the end of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read this starting in verse 37. Just listen. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. See, in the 2,000 years since the fulfillment of this, that day at Pentecost, people are still claiming that promise of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And every time someone does, God gives them his own spirit. And this brings us to our third Pentecost reminder. We've been reminded that God endows his children with his blessings, that God equips his children with his word, and here we see that God empowers his children by his spirit. God empowers his children by his spirit. See, Pentecost is a powerful reminder of the perfect provision of God, and there's no greater provision of God than, us giving, than him giving us himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. See, the giving of the law on the first Pentecost had now been fulfilled with the new Pentecost and the giving of the Spirit. And we need to stop and think about the implications of this, the implications of the creator of the universe sending his Holy Spirit to dwell within finite creatures like you and me. Makes my head hurt. The same Holy Spirit who participated in creation, the same Holy Spirit who empowered Old Testament saints, the same Holy Spirit who revealed God's word to the prophets, the same Holy Spirit who played an instrumental role in Jesus' birth, the same Holy Spirit that Jesus depended on, the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, this Holy Spirit never came to earth for a permanent stay until Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And it was then, he's, since then, he's made his home in the heart of every single follower of Jesus. And that means two things. That means, one, that we can get to know God intimately and personally. We can enjoy and experience his presence with us. And it means that we have the responsibility of making him known. We get to know God and we get to make him known. See, to have God's spirit means that you can know God intimately. It was the spirit of God who convicted you of sin. It was the spirit of God who was instrumental in your regeneration and regenerating you. It was the spirit of God who sealed you for the future, for the the day of, of glorification. And it's the spirit of God who indwells you. God has made his presence and his resources available to each one of us in the person of the spirit. Now, here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. See, God's word does teach that we can still grieve or quench the Holy Spirit, meaning that God has given us the ability to either restrict what the Spirit does in our lives or to release the Spirit in and through us. Just as he did on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes to you as a fire, right? But it's up to you whether that, that flame will be fanned by your dependence on him or if that flame is going to be doused and extinguished by the water of your self-reliance or pride. See, this is why scripture commands us to be filled with the Spirit, to be continuously filled with the Spirit, right? That's not something that just happens once. We're supposed to be filled continuously with the Spirit. He comes and indwells in us one time, but we're supposed to be continually filled. It happens over and over again, and all that simply means is that we depend on the Spirit. 
We rely on him. We depend on him to control all areas of our life. We rely on him and his resources to live the Christian life through us because apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from the indwelling Christ and the person of the spirit, we cannot live the Christian life. God doesn't want us to walk our journeys in our own strength, following our own agendas, because then we rob ourselves of the purposes and plans that he has for us, everything that he wants to do in us and through us. Instead, he wants us to walk by faith, trusting him, relying on him, depending on him for everything that we are and everything that we need. And this is one of the realities of Pentecost, that we truly can know God by his presence and indwelling. But there's another result that comes from the Spirit's indwelling, and that's our boldness in making him known to others. See, God didn't just give us his Spirit for ourselves, for our own enjoyment or our own experience or our own strength. He gave us his Spirit for others. He gave us his Spirit so we wouldn't shrink back from sharing Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. Without the Holy Spirit coming that day at Pentecost, the church would have never been born and the disciples would have wasted away while they waited in that upper room. I mean, think about it. All the disciples went through like emotional burnout. The trial of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, it nearly snuffed out their flame and it would have eventually uh, faded away. But then the Holy Spirit came like a mighty wind and they became human infernos filled with the power of God himself. This is what Jesus told them in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the power that the Holy Spirit provides us is meant to be used to make Jesus known to everybody else around us. See, we're fulfilling Pentecost when we do that. If you remember earlier when we looked at Leviticus 23, those two... um, Loaves of bread that were waved back and forth. Well, one of those loaves represented the Jews. Those early disciples and those 3,000 followers in Jerusalem who received the power of God by acknowledging Jesus as their Messiah. But then there were always questions about what the second loaf represented until Pentecost arrived. See, because the the second loaf represented the Gentiles. Every non-Jew to believe in Jesus and receive salvation from him. And that would be you and me. See, so as Israel bore witness to the one true God in seeking to follow the, the Torah, you and I are to be witnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to the ends of the earth, to all the nations and all peoples of the earth. And since the day of Pentecost, almost 2,000 years ago, God has been reuniting people to himself and he gives us his spirit to join in that mission. So go out this week, be filled with the Spirit, and boldly proclaim the wonderful work that Jesus did in your life and saving you. And tell somebody else. You don't have to do it in your own strength. Do it in the strength that the Holy Spirit gives to you and provides you. Trust me, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your bosses, everybody desperately needs Jesus, and you're there for a reason. So the Feast of Pentecost serves as a powerful reminder of the perfect provision of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you've given to us. Lord, thank you for the reminder from your word today, Lord, that everything we need, you perfectly provide for us. 
Thank you for giving us your abundant blessings. Lord, thank you for everything you've blessed us with, not only physically, Lord, but spiritually. Lord, illuminate our hearts and our minds to come to understand all that is truly ours in Christ. Our spiritual blessings. Everything that you've given us because of the righteousness of Christ that you gave to us the moment you saved us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. And Lord, I pray that even as some in here may commit to just make a discipline of reading and studying your word, Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would illuminate their minds to receive everything that you want them to receive from your word, Lord, to come face to face with you, to learn about you, to learn about your heart, your desire for us, to learn about who we truly are, to learn about all you've given us, to learn about all your great plans for the future. And Lord, we thank you so much for giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, it's so easy to go about our lives in our own strength, completely forgetting that you've given us your spirit. It's amazing to think that Jesus with the disciples said, it's better for me to go. So we could have the spirit, Lord, because you've given us the indwelling Christ in the person of the spirit. Lord, and you want to do great things in us, great things through us. Lord, so help us to go today, this week, in dependence on the Spirit. Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Lord, help us to experience and know your presence, your power. Lord, ignite a flame inside of us we would burn to see all of those around us turn in faith to you. Give us the words to say, when to say them, how to speak them. Lord, this is something we can't do in our own strength, so we need your help. Lord, thank you for your perfect provision for us. We pray all these things in the name of your matchless Son. Jesus Christ, all God's children said, amen.